Hello, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Welcome to The Long Way, a podcast of short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good. Have you ever considered the concept of restorative justice? Have you ever heard stories of reconciliation or restoration of peace between someone who's committed a crime and a victim of crime? Well, The Long Way will bring you some of those stories in this episode, and we'll even learn a little something about how we can become involved in helping those who are incarcerated and their families outside of prison. Why? Well, this is all part and parcel of building the common good. That's what The Long Way is about, and that's what Cardus, the think tank that puts on this podcast, is all about. Cardus is an organization that produces policy and thought dedicated to three main things, living together well, respecting our many differences, and protecting the vulnerable. So restorative justice, that's something our feature guest knows all about. She is Stacy Campbell, president and CEO of Prison Fellowship Canada. Well, it's good to have you on The Long Way. Great to be here, Daniel. When we talk about the integration of inmates, uh, reintegrating them into society, we we don't typically use the language of reconciliation or restoration. I've been looking, say, at, at what public safety uh, or the prison system say uh, about how they approach the in- reintegration of an inmate into society once they're about to be released or uh, after they're released, and reconciliation and restoration, they don't typically show up. I don't mean that necessarily as a criticism of the government's approach to this, but I am interested in why Prison Fellowship uses those words and what they mean to you. For sure. So um, so rec- reconciliation uh, for us be, um, involves a number of steps. There's uh, we have to look first at first of all at where reconciliation is needed. So reconciliation with oneself, reconciliation with others, reconciliation with God, reconciliation with the wider community. So taking all those things um, into consideration, if we were going to put it in mathematical terms, we would say that reconciliation means bringing account uh, bringing an account to a place where there's no unresolved issues. And as we walk that out in faith, it means allowing those who've been harmed to have a voice, a safe place to express that voice and to talk about the impact of the harm that's occurred um, in the presence of those who have been harmed. And then and then continuing on in that vein, um, we're looking to answer the questions, what, what is the harm? Who Who's responsible for the harm? And, and how will this um, how, how will this harm be resolved? And how is that all part and parcel then of the restoration, the resolving of the harm? Yes. Yeah, so the so restoration would be a um, would be a we we kind of look at um, forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration as three separate um, steps. So reconciliation for sure is the goal that there's no unresolved issues. We kind of bring the balance sheet to zero. Um, restoration, you know, sometimes it's safe. 
uh, for restoration to occur. Sometimes it's not safe for restoration to occur. Um, and so that has, you know, that has many implications as we talk about it in terms of re-entering the community, whether it's um, putting a relationship back together, that that type of thing. But but a restoration is a very with a community is a very a very difficult um, thing to do, and really forms the basis of of some of the programming that we do um, because there isn't a mechanism. Um, for restoration when you're leaving when you're leaving the prison system basically custody and care is the mandate of um, of corrections um, while you're while you're in their facility but but reconciliation or, or restoration with the community is not um, it's not part of their mandate we can't fault them for that it's a, it's not part of their mandate um, so what 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 has to occur is there has to be somebody who who stands in the gap and and facilitates that uh, and facilitates that process. Through the years, I'm sure you had many interesting experiences, and others from prison fellowship would have had interesting experiences in seeing reconciliation and restoration happen. If I were to ask you sort of as a top of mind, you know, favorite or most impactful experience in that regard, what would you what would come to mind for you? I think one of the most recent um, areas where where I was um, fortunate enough to to um, be part of the process was was a, re- a restorative justice circle whereby we brought um, we brought an, an individual into the prison system whose father had been killed by a drunk driver. And we had her come in and, and um, share with a group of uh, people who had been um, charged and convicted with um, uh, driving under the DUI, um, causing, causing death. So a surrogate situation in that they weren't each other's um, victim and, and offender, but, they, but it was certainly linked over, over uh, the same crime. And, and for this individual who came in to share uh, the story of loss. It was really the first time that that she had had an opportunity to um, to tell her whole story and to and to see remorse in in people who had uh, committed the same uh, same crime. So a very very powerful um, experience for her, where the the prison came up became which had originally been a a place of defeat became a victory um, and, and became a place of victory um, for her in her own her own story. Um, speaking to a group of, of uh, three other women who, um, as I said, who'd been charged with a crime and and coming out of that, one of the offenders wanted an opportunity to talk, really to warn others about what she had done and what the harm was and how she um, had harmed others. And we did have a speaking engagement that came available. And so I took her into the community and it was into the community where her, where her crime had occurred. And she spoke to a group of about 750 people and, and the um, person who'd lost her dad, um, who'd been killed by a drunk driver also came and shared. And, and at the conclusion of them both sharing, the victim crossed the crossed the stage and and held the uh, the individual who who was serving time and went back after that speaking engagement back to prison uh, to serve out her sentence and it was really it, it really gave the community an upfront rare glimpse um, that reconciliation and restoration are possible. Wow, 
Well, those are just some fascinating stories. And I have to ask you, you know, it's easy to depersonalize an inmate because barring a gross injustice uh, during the trial or during sentencing, they're behind bars because of a crime, maybe a violent one. So how do you how do you see the person behind the crime? I mean, I think you've sort of you've you've described that in a way through the stories you've just you just related, but how do you and how does prison fellowship really just see the person behind the crime? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a grace of God um, to be able to to see beyond it. I think we we deeply hold a, a belief that our humanity can be effaced, but it can never be erased. Um, and so our work involves helping to kind of re- re-engrave that image of God among offenders and call them back to what God intended them to be. That is very, very deep in the DNA of, um, of prison fellowship. In, in addition um, to that, Daniel, some research I've actually been working on recently, um, taking a look at why is it so hard? Why is, why is it so hard to bridge that, that grief and that, and that ability to restore between offenders and the community? And, and an interesting thing that I happened upon in my studies, and that was, um, in, in the church, the, as, the, as part of the church community, we seek to convert people at, at the level of belief. And that's easy. That's the intellect. And that's easy. We're also interested in converting people at the level of, of the will. That as, as a Christian or as a Christian organization or, or body of believers, there are certain ways in which we should behave. And so we tick the boxes that Yep, I do this, I do this, I do this. And so we're, we're converted at the level of the will. But if we're not converted at the level of the affect, at the level of love, at the level of unconditional love, um, then the change can't occur. The transformation can't occur. So it's, it's looking at someone and saying, I can't do anything about your sin. It's between you and God, your offense. It's between, there's nothing I can do in that, but I can do something about your pain. And I recognize that your pain is where, where the sin began. That's interesting. You obviously approach it from a Christian perspective. Are there other organizations that you're aware of that would approach this issue from a non-Christian perspective? Uh, from a different religious perspective, or maybe from a non-religious perspective, uh, the, the same sort of restorative type of approach. I, I would say we have we have um, great dialogues uh, with our Christ- with our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters for sure, um, who would who would see a, a, a similar. Um, who would see a similar view to to what we see, and and I think once we once we pull it out of that. Um, perhaps pull it into the secular and, and people are looking, there are well-meaning people that are also, um, (laughs) you know, all of us looking for how do we resolve this? How do we resolve the issue of crime? How do we resolve the issue of, um, of recidivism in our, um, in our, in our communities? And so for sure, there are, there are different approaches. Does the prison system welcome you? Uh, Do prison officials and those who make the decisions give you a good reception? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Very much so. Uh, I'm curious about another aspect of your work, and it's the Angel Tree Christmas program. I mean, we're not that far from Christmas now, so what's the purpose of that program? Can you describe it a, a little bit for me, and, and maybe if you could go into the rationale for for why it is, why you've set it up, and why it's operating? For sure, you can't see me right now, but I'm beaming. <laughs> as soon as we, uh, as soon as we talk about our angel tree children, it's um, something very, very dear to my heart. So, um, so Prison Fellowship uh, Canada works with about five, clo- between four and five thousand children who have an in- inmate um, or have a parent who is an, an inmate in a in a facility somewhere in Canada. And we work through the um, through a Christmas program, and then in the summer through a camping program. So the rationale is that if a child um, can can maintain a connection with a parent, even an incarcerated parent, the statistics and the and the evidence states that they will do better academically, they will do better socially. They're more um, they're more likely to initiate conversation, to initiate social interaction, than a child who is really lost, not knowing where do I come from, where do I fit in, how do I connect. I don't even know who my parent is, and so that is um, that is the rationale. The program um, started in the '80s and actually was the brainchild of a of a mom who was an incarcerated um, an incarcerated bank robber, and uh, on Christmas Day had nothing to to give to to their child and no way to reach out and connect, but was just another layer of disappointment to that uh, to that child, and so she began to um, wrap up little soaps and toothpaste and things that she could um, get in the prison and send that as a gift. But when she got out. Um, she talked to prison fellowship about, um, about what it was like to face the wall in the fetal position on Christmas morning and, and, um, and just how, how harrowing that, uh, that journey was. And so really it's a, it's a ministry about connection. So, um, it's not about the gift. We make it a very, um, a very accessible level. It's a $35 gift and the, it's initiated by the inmate parent who will write, um, re- request an application, write out a gift tag, and make a suggestion for what their um, what their child might like at that um, at that level. And then, and then people go and and we um, we do it for sure as a staff, but but it's really the um, mostly handled by the community where they go and knock on the door and and present the gift and, and say, this is, uh, this is from your dad, or this is from your mom. And, and then the children will, you know, a lot of them respond. It's, it's really heartwarming that, oh, he remembered me or she remembered me. And, and um, yeah. I can, I can only imagine what, what, uh, what a feeling that would be, uh, what it would, what it would feel like to actually bring that gift to the child on behalf of a parent uh, who was incarcerated, mm-hmm. 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 and 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 very pro-social and positive on both for for both ends, a parent who's connected to a child is also less likely to to recidivate to to reoffend, and so important on that perspective. But we, yeah, we had a little boy who apparently was being ribbed by a, a bunch of his peers at school, and and um, you don't know who your dad is, you don't know where you come from, kind of thing, and had really lost touch with his dad. And, and last year, um, we brought a gift and said, hey, this is from your dad. And he's like, he exists. He knows I exist. And it was just this um, life-changing thing for this boy. And, and throughout the year, he just became a different, uh, a different child. 
Well, I just have a feeling that anyone who's listening to this now will want to participate in some way. You mentioned before that a lot of this has come through the community. Mm -hmm. So is there a way that people can get involved directly, either as volunteers or or sponsors or, or donors in some way? Absolutely. So on our website, which is just www.prisonfellowship.ca, um, if you go on there, the, the Angel Tree banners are up and we're well underway with the uh, with the program. And, and there you can either um, become a volunteer or a sponsor or donate in, in some way. And uh, yeah, we would, uh, we would love that. We would welcome that. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, it's It's just so interesting to hear your stories uh, and the experiences of people both who've been victims of crime, uh, because honestly, uh, approaching this this interview, I was completely thinking of the inmate, not really thinking about how there might be some sort of restoration or uh, reestablishing that connection with with the wider community. And you've really unearthed and highlighted that. I think that's a very interesting aspect of your work and a, uh, an interesting aspect of reintegration more more broadly that perhaps we don't think about as much and you don't see as much in the headlines. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Well, thank you again, Stacy Campbell from Prison Fellowship. This has been very interesting and it's a bit early, but Merry Christmas. Thank you, Daniel, and the same to you and your family. Thank you. Well, as we close out this episode, let's connect again with podcast producer Rachel Fatima. Rachel, it is nice to end this season of The Long Way with something hopeful and positive, like restorative justice and uh, reconciliation. And I I really loved hearing Stacy's stories about how that all looks on the ground. I don't know what your impressions were. Yes, this topic was such a refreshing thing to turn to, I think, compared to a lot of the bad news that commands our attention. There's this this work and this this topic that escapes public attention of talking about how we reintegrate, how we reestablish connections and, and this whole idea that when we think about someone serving time for a crime that they've done, we just hear the number decided by the legal system and think that that's the the time that they've served when in reality it doesn't start the day that that number starts and it doesn't end the day they walk out of a facility that there are families connections job opportunities uh, relationships with the self was something so profound that stacy said that i can uh, totally imagine being of a lifelong journey of being able to talk to oneself about something like that and then stemming from that, being able to talk to other people and see life to look forward, the, the relationship with looking backward. It's, there's so much to unpack there, and, and the work here is, is so important. Yeah, sentencing isn't the whole story. I mean, definitely it's part of what we're, what we're talking about here, and, and I don't think anyone's trying to suggest that sentencing isn't important, um, and accountability isn't important. Of course it is, but that that sense of restorative justice and of bringing healing of restoring relationship where it's where it's possible to do so where it's safe to do so uh, i think that's an important aspect that we forget about often and 
you know, it never really occurred to me that there is a relationship to maintain between a child and an incarcerated parent. Um, and it's difficult for the child. And I was just, I was just happy to hear about cases where a child's life can be changed and improved. And even, even that child's outlook on life can improve based on some of this work that can happen that, uh, even you or I or anyone else could be involved in. Yeah. And stepping in and helping, uh, I, I picture it as opening a door. It's, it's leaving a door open to future possibilities that without a program like this, I think would be a lot harder to keep. Well, uh, in terms of news that you can use, um, there is, you know, if anyone is interested in restorative justice uh, as an issue or other programs, be it through prison fellowship or, or other programs, Justice Canada, so the, the Federal Justice Department does uh, offer a directory of restorative justice programs. If you go to justice.gc.ca and you search for restorative justice, you can um, you can enter your postal code and there's all kinds of search criteria and you can come up with um, restorative justice programs in your neck of the woods. And I know that this, um, we, we did talk about as well, the Angel Tree Christmas program uh, and the, the place where you can get more information on that, just as Stacy Campbell said, was prisonfellowship.ca. That's also going to be in this uh, in this episode description. And Rachel, this uh, this brings us to the end of our eleventh overall episode of the Long Way and the end of our second season. Wild time flies. <laughs> time flies, and uh, that doesn't mean, of course, that this is the end, and it doesn't mean that it's uh, that it's goodbye necessarily. Uh, you know, if anyone's missed a previous episode, no problem. Search for the Long Way wherever you get your podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. The list goes on, uh, and you'll have access to all of them there. And uh, and we need to get cracking on a third season, uh, don't we, Rachel? But it's okay. I'll let you have a breather first. <laughs> Enjoy that Christmas season. Yeah, yeah, a little Christmas cheer. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you've got good ideas uh, for um, for a future episode, a topic that we should tackle, um, if, if anyone's got comments uh, on the podcast, write to Rachel and me at media at cardis.ca. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And uh, if you want to learn more about Cardis, visit us at cardis.ca. Uh, I'd invite you in for a coffee, but um, the authorities frown on that, at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, let's settle for Cardis.ca. And uh, for, for Rachel Fedema and all the team here at Cardis, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Thanks for listening.